Blog Talk Radio. I own it, I did that, not proud but that was me and when I face it, I take back a little dignity, not looking for excuses, I just want to be Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. My name is Ellie, and I am joined tonight by all three of my co-hosts, Amanda, Jean, and Catherine. Hey, guys. Hi. Hi. Hello. So psyched that you wow. guys are all here. We, we like harmonize. It's the best. Yeah. <laughs> We're the Bubble Hello. Sisters. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> we'll be lucky if we even get to the topic tonight. We're just going <laughs> to chat the whole time. <laughs> well, all four of us haven't co-hosted a show since our live show, quote-unquote live show, back in January when we all got together for a bubble hour retreat. So we're very excited to have all four of us to talk about tonight's topic. And we're going to be talking about summertime triggers tonight. Summer is right around the corner. And while summer is an amazing time to be sober, it can also be a challenging time of year particularly for those who are early in recovery. Vacations, barbecues, days on the beach, these are all incredible times to be in recovery and be fully present in our lives. However, often these activities have historically involved alcohol for us, and we are often around alcohol more during the summer than we are during other times of the year. I was actually talking to some newly sober people just this week, and they were saying how they were having a hard time imagining their first sober summer, and I can remember feeling the exact same way. And even with more recovery under our belts, we can be triggered during the summer, and it's good to know you aren't alone and to be prepared. So thankfully, there are tools at our disposal that can not only help us stay sober, but also allow us to fully enjoy this beautiful time of year. And I thought it would be helpful tonight to start with the show, with each of us sharing some of the the things that can trigger us during the summer. Maybe talk a little bit about what a trigger feels like, what kind of people, places, and things trigger us, and how the summer can be different from other times of year. And I think we will start with Jean. Okay, well, um, first of all, Ellie, thank you for the great idea of having us all on tonight because I've been missing you guys. So pretty happy yeah, to hear all likewise. your voices. Um, and I looked at your notes and saw that I was the first one up to say what some triggers were. And I, I like thought, oh, I'll jot a few things down. And then, thump, like, <laughs> one full page later in five minutes. Like, there's... You're right, there is a lot in the summertime, there is. In fact, once I started thinking of it, I was like, holy, like, I'm glad we're doing this show because I think this is perfect timing for me, at least, being part of it, just preparing just by thinking about all this stuff. Um, So for me, the number one thing in the past and even still that really I think is the biggest trigger for me is the disruption of my routine. And... The way that my drinking pattern was was it was very much a routine. I was a daily drinker, and I, you know, had certain, like, ways and places and, you know, my life built around it in a certain way. And so when I got into recovery, then I rebuilt my routine and leaned very heavily on it. So when summertime comes, um, my kids are grown now, but for people with kids at home or that, you know, have, 
kids and their family that they watch or whatever. It once the kids are out of school, just it's like all hell breaks loose. Like every all the structure is gone. <laughs> and I think that was very hard for me in early recovery and it still kind of messes me up. So that's a big one. And to me what a what a trigger really feels like is like I just feel like I can't get comfortable. I feel really anxious and I feel like I kind of want to escape that moment or, like, take the edge off that moment. And for me, it usually means I kind of want to be alone. And at this point in my recovery, I don't often, like, have thoughts of going off and drinking, but I have I have that feeling of, like, I need out of this moment, you know? And um, mm. so I, I think now what a trigger feels like for me is more like I need a way to escape, I need a way to control this, I need to put a lid on this feeling. And um, and I don't I don't have my magic way of doing that. So um, that's what that fe- felt like now and then. But I think as, as you get more time, your first thought isn't necessarily alcohol. But I think if you don't find a way to plug in some relief and some other ways to relieve that stress, then you know you can really be putting yourself in danger. Um, I wrote down the word uh, for another trigger tr- trigger bubble infringement. <laughs> and I think okay you guys sound like you know what I mean by that like when people kind of get in your space or not just disrupt your routine but like all of the things that you do you put around yourself you know like you put a nice can of, of maybe like some flavored water or something in the fridge and you look forward to enjoying it later and then one of the kids takes it out of the fridge or your husband like gives it to the neighbor oh here have this you know and you're like ah that was my bubble um, so I find that like hosting visitors or having neighbors over more, that happens more in the summertime. Um, when you're camping, I don't know if you guys camp at all, it's a very Canadian thing. Um, you're kind of in a contained space. I mean, even if you have a big trailer, you're still in something smaller than your home. So like, it's just like people in your stuff and in your space and, you know, using your lotion and dirtying the tub before you have a bath. And it's just all the things that you lean on to support your sobriety can get messed with and for me again that kind of comes back down to routine and um, that screws you up a little bit Um, I personally find special occasions I really dreaded special occasions and there's often a lot of them in the summer like lots of weddings and reunions and um, school reunions family reunions sporting events like all of these sort of special summertime things that happen and and I think a lot of people, like we hear this a lot, people saying, well, I can't quit drinking yet because my sister's wedding is coming up and, and I'm right. here uh-huh. to have champagne at her wedding. And and the, so that, I think, trips a lot of people up, just getting hung up on, like, the romanticism of drinking at those events. Yeah. For me now, like, a little bit farther into my recovery, what gets me at special events is just social anxiety. I feel awkward and you know, having a drink in your hand, like just going to the bar and getting a drink, standing with a drink, like it made me feel like I had something to do and it made me feel comfortable knowing that at least like I had my little happy glass there. And um, so I still find that social events, like I find I'm often late arriving at things and it's because I have to really work myself up to getting there and just building the courage to go and we can talk later about how we get through that. Um, here's another summertime trigger. I don't know if you guys would have thought of this, but for me, it's body image. So bikini mm. season, short season, 
um, basically, you know, the thighs come out. I mean, then comes all the, like, self-tanning, which in my life is an adventure in itself because I make a mess every time <laughs> I try to do it. <laughs> and, the, like, the hair removal and the pedicures. <laughs> all of that stuff. Yeah. Like, there's, and just, I think, just the self-consciousness, again, of, like, going to the beach and being in a swimsuit and just not really feeling good about yourself. I think for a lot of us that... Even if in that moment we may not feel triggered, I think the uncomfortable feelings that it brings up could sort of give some residual triggers. Um, And two more things. One is just seeing certain people that you don't see all the time. So it kind of comes back to those special occasions, like being around family that you don't see all the time, but maybe they're at weddings or reunions and stuff. And I say this because I was just visiting family uh, in another city and and was around people I don't see all the time. And they're family. I love them. But it put me back into a kind of a family dynamic that I've really changed from and moved away from in recovery. I've kind of learned that some of those ways of communicating and of talking to each other, talking about each other, poking fun, like they for me they weren't good. It made me feel very uncomfortable and very criticized. And I just... I really realized how very uncomfortable that was for me, and it made me realize how many people that are newly sober in the summertime are going to be put into the, some of those situations before they've maybe done some of the healing that goes along with understanding your family better. Mm. And then the last, yeah, big one, right? And yeah. the last, the last thing for me was, um, okay, drum roll. This is like the biggest thing that I do. Uh, expecting too much of myself and thinking, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this in the summer. I'm gonna write a book in the summer, and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna learn how to groom my dog myself mm-hmm. this summer, and I'm gonna grow peonies this summer. And, and you like, then all I do is I just feel like, you know, August rolls around, and instead of enjoying myself, I just feel bad because I'm not accomplishing all these things. So, um, expectations. Our resentments waiting to happen, and that includes the unreal expectations that we put on ourselves. So, oh, good ones. <laughs> yeah. Did I did I hit home with anybody? Absolutely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> oh, those are good. Oh, I'm writing them down too because there's some that I hadn't even thought of myself. <clears throat> um, Catherine, what about you? Well, I definitely have to echo everything that that Jean said. And, you know, I was trying to think of, like, what does a trigger feel like? You know, I think for me it typically doesn't involve thinking, like, oh, that drink sounds good. Like, it's a little sneakier than that. It's more I'll start feeling really grouchy and kind of snippy and angry. I'll feel like resentment's coming in. I feel anxious about stuff. And it's it's not necessarily I'm looking at a beer and thinking, oh, that sounds good right now. So I think that was something that's helpful for me to be mindful of, of like, oh, wait, this is me kind of slipping into you know, a a dangerous territory. Now, there are definitely times when, you know, now it's it's a lot of that sitting outside, isn't it? Um, Yeah. Where people are just like, I don't know, pouring that rosé and it just looks so... And 
the reality is, well, I guess we'll talk about how we get through it, but, you know, my reality isn't all that pretty when the rosé starts flowing, but um, that social anxiety piece is just, it's just huge for me. I mean, I still feel like a gangly, awkward, you know, unattractive and weird 13-year-old. Like, I just... And and when I had a glass of champagne or two, the Catherine meter would just go up, and I could really... Like, I could just... It was like flipping a switch, and I could just, like, turn into, like, social butterfly, you know, until I... Until the wheels came off the wagon, but... um which happened faster and faster and in a more unpredictable way, the more progressed my disease became. But um, one thing, I mean, Jean talked about special events. I find, too, that, like, especially late in the evening, you know, you're sitting around at the barbecue or whatever it is, and you're kind of doing okay when you're just kind of getting the food out and you're doing all your thing and maybe you find a way to be of service and like help at the person's house or whatever. But as the evening goes on and everybody else is getting sauce and then I'm sitting there going like, what, like what, what do I have to contribute to this whole, this whole thing? It just, it, I can really get into this headspace of like, I'm on the outside and I'm alone in this and it's, I can really get into that weird Space in my mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can totally relate to that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, me too. Amanda, do you have anything to add to those the things that they talked about? Yeah, well, definitely. And I, I mean, I, 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 it's just dawning on me. I think um, as Catherine was talking, like that, I've lived in a little bubble or something, maybe because I don't. I guess I don't go, and I haven't since I got sober, I don't go to a ton of things where there's, you know, this huge flow of alcohol. I just don't. But I did last week. I went to my company dodgeball tournament, which is every year. And it's a big, I mean, there's a the big athletic event, but it, it starts with going to the bar before and going to the bar after. Like, we have sponsors and um, and this is this is not just like you know twenty people playing dodgeball. This is three hundred people playing dodgeball, and it's this big event. And um, I guess it, it you know for me it was a little triggery. It was kind of I was the original organizer of the event, and um, I'm the one who probably set the tone for the you know we go to the bar before we play, and then we go to the bar after we play. And I remember one of the years. Um, when we went to the bar ahead of time, I said, I hope you're prepared. We're going to have about 200 people coming to your bar and, uh, around 9 o'clock. <laughs> and um, so that was a little bit weird for me. But, you know, what I did is, I, you know, I, I went over with my team ahead of time, you know, because it's, you know, all of 20 minutes. We were at the bar. I just, we were joking around, make, taking goofy selfies and, team photos, and then we went over to play, and then at the end, when everyone went to the bar after, I just went home. And um, yeah. you know what I hear, or I see a lot of people, like, writing in, an, in, in this online group, is, you know, people will say, like, oh, I feel so left out because I didn't go, you know, I didn't go to the after party or whatever. And um, I guess one thing, one of the 
greatest or one of the best tools for me is I didn't feel that way. I looked at it, I'm like, I have a really long day at work tomorrow. Uh, it's going to be so nice not to be hungover. Like, I just looked at the positive side of it, and I didn't feel left out. Like, I think a lot of us, one thing that I found is, um, you know, well, I guess summer. everything summer for me is a trigger. Like, summer is when, you know, like Catherine said, the, I mean, the wheels just went off the bus. It was, you know, everything revolved around alcohol. You know, I had my, I had a liquor cabinet. I had every type of liquor that you could possibly want. I had um, all kinds of cool glasses. I had, you know, to go out by my pool. I had a couple of different blenders. I mean, I had... I had came to my house. We were going to party. That's so alcoholic, right? It was like many many blenders. I, I mean, it one's was, good, know, two's God, better. You know, God forbid right. I couldn't serve you know everyone all at once. I mean, it was just I, I looked back and it was really, it was it was just crazy. I was so focused on um, drinking and. Um, oh, where was I going with that? So I mean, I guess summer was I, I was. Telling you, ladies, before we got we went live on the show, like doing yard work um, yesterday, well, and today. But yesterday, I woke up, I had my coffee, and I saw like this bush that I wanted to trim. So I started, you know, I trimmed this bush, and then the next thing I know, I'm cleaning my grill. I'm doing this so from eight o'clock in the morning till five o'clock in the afternoon, I just work nonstop. And so, okay, that doesn't sound very triggery, but when I was drinking, that was something I would have done pretty much every week, but I would have been drinking the entire time. Um, It was just, for some reason, I had, like, this justification in my head, so I was actually really surprised that it wasn't triggering for me because I've actually avoided doing those type of things, and I guess, you know, maybe because it's been a while and, in the beginning, there were certain things that I just I just didn't go there. I just, you know, I knew it was, you know, this is a big drinking activity for me. So I did minimal, I did yard work. I mean, I'm not, you know, I had to mow my lawn or the neighbors would have complained. But I didn't go, I didn't do the full tilt, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, really make things nice type of thing. I, you know, I just kept it low key. So I did the things that I needed to do, but I didn't, I avoided doing a lot of things that are triggery for me and including like you know a lot of events i i um there's certain we you know there's certain things that i just don't do anymore and i don't feel left out because there's so many other things that i wouldn't have ever even considered trying when i was drinking because they didn't involve drinking you know or I would yeah. have made them involve drinking, but it would have been like you know. For example, my uh, my boyfriend was like, "Do you want to go kayaking?" And I was like, "Sure, I've never done it. Let's try it." And it was fun. <laughs> and I, granted, I would have found a way to put a beer in my kayak, but I it, it's just something I probably <laughs> I probably it would have been like too hard. You know, canoeing's a different thing. You can bring a cooler in a canoe. But kayaking, you really can't do that, so I probably wouldn't have done it. I mean, that's that. so my life was so limited when I was drinking that I guess, you know, rather than feeling deprived, I look at it as um, I get to do so much more because I don't drink. That's, that's a really true. good point, Amanda. Even when you when you said that example about, like, somebody asking you to go kayaking, back when I was drinking, that would have just struck, like, terror into my stomach. Like, but how am I going to... 
how am I going to smuggle alcohol into a kayak? I can't do it, you know, and it was... <laughs> It, it's, it's a good point that there's many things that open up for us as, as uh, even as we're feeling like doors are closing because we can't drink at things or we don't want to go to events. And um, one well, of the things that I, I was thinking about good, too. Oh, sorry, go sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking this idea of like missing out on stuff. It's I feel like for me that was one of my more elaborate lies that I told myself that like. I'm missing out on some big thing or if I get sober now and I think Jean used the example of like, you know, my sister's wedding is coming up, you know, that, that was a, that was an elaborate story that I told myself that's actually not true. And I know that I've said this lots of times on the show before, but that question of, is it true? Um, mm-hmm. Has especially in the beginning was so helpful for me. Like I'm being left out. Is that true? No. I mean, so like now, so many events that I go to, people aren't drinking the way I was. <laughs> that was a big surprise. Yeah. I'm finding new event, new activities and events, like Amanda mentioned with the kayaking, that are better than anything I might have imagined. And like, what am I really missing out on? I mean. Some of that stuff was just kind of boring anyway, or I'd be passed out before the <laughs> before the event ended. It just it, anyway. All I'm saying is just that honesty of, of really looking at the feeling of being left out. Like, what's the fear underneath that? That's been helpful. That's definitely for me. true, Catherine. I think it's also true that I was never really at the event for the event anyway. I mean, I was I wouldn't go if there wasn't right. alcohol, and if there was alcohol there, I was there to drink. You know, and it. It sometimes when I'm getting that left out feeling, I'll say to myself, you know, I I wouldn't be there to be at the event anyway. So, you know, if it's if it's is it the alcohol I'm missing? Is it the feeling? You know, that, it, that usually there's some other kind of fear, as you mentioned, behind that anyway. Um, and, and you know, we're, when we're talking about the triggers too, one of the other things that I thought of um, was the you know speaking from a as a, a mom of kids that are still relatively young, they're um, 12 and nine now, you know, I I get kind of a pit in my stomach when I think about the summer anyway, because it's unstructured time. I mean, Jean talked a lot about routine and structure and how important that can be to us. And so when the summer came, the first summer that I was sober, I was nervous a lot about just sort of the, the boredom factor, not even just being left out, but how am I going to entertain these kids all day, every day for two whole months over the summer. And part of that was admitting that my kids can be a trigger for me, you know, the sort of the monotony of every single day. And, um, you know, as I've gotten more sobriety under my belt, that changes a little bit because I, you know, we've brought up expectations and other things. I've I've lowered the expectations I have of myself as what kind of parent I'm going to be over the summer. I'm a little, I'm a little kinder to myself that if, you know, we have unstructured time or there's a little bit too much screen time or there's, you know, we're not doing events every minute of every day and I'm I'm not personally responsible for entertaining them all the time, that helps um, with That's the trigger factor. That's probably them, actually. <laughs> yeah, it probably, it probably is. Yeah, and I, and I also no, think no that... No offense, um, Ellie, but really, like, I think... <laughs> I'm sure you're lots of fun. <laughs> they probably just need a I break am a from good all the time. fun. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you know, I just have to say this because Ellie, I mean, Ellie and I grew up together as kids. What did our parents tell? Like, this drives me crazy with parents today, and I'm sorry. So I, I know I don't have children, but I'm giving all the parents out there a pass. 
when we were growing up, if we said we were bored, our parents said, go outside and play, find something yeah, to absolutely. do. Absolutely. They did not entertain us. <laughs> I know. Like, I, I don't, we I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, okay. Cautionary tale. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> here's but I think a, here's it, a reading it, plug. You, you guys, I'm reading a really funny book uh, by, uh, it's called I Feel Bad About My Neck. <laughs> oh, I love that book. And uh, the author is what? Nora Ephron, who, of course, uh, famous for her, her yeah. rom-com kind of writing. She's very, very funny. But anyway, there's a chapter in there on parenting and on exactly what you were just saying, Amanda, the difference b- between what we grew up with and and uh, and how parents uh, are involved with their kids' lives today and the pressure we put on ourselves. It's very funny. So if you're looking for some summer read in some of that downtime that Ellie was just telling you to to create for yourself, highly recommend it. It's an older book, but it's really funny. Oh, it's very funny. I love I love that book. I think it's it's fair meant like sort of emphasizing too. I mean, Catherine brought this up about how a trigger isn't necessarily about a physical craving for a drink. It's more for for me at least most of the time an emotional trigger of mm-hmm. wanting to numb out or alter some kind of experience that I'm having and and boredom has always been a trigger for me. And that you know, summertime brings boredom as well as other kind of social events that don't happen during the rest of the year. Um, and so it's it's a, a combination, I think, of, of um, keeping that self-care routine going, lowering my expectations, and being forgiving of myself that I'm going to be bored or I'm going to be sad or I'm going to be, you know, there's going to be things that are going to happen over the summer that are different and that make me feel, I guess, I guess what I'm trying to say, this is a long-winded way of saying, we talked about this on the isolation show last week, Anytime I feel other than or different than, whether it's in my head or in reality, that's a trigger for me. And mm-hmm. when I'm yeah. at a social event, you know, I was at one over the weekend where we families ended up tailgating, and, of course, the adults brought out the alcohol right away, and I'm sipping my orange club soda. I start to feel different in my head. I start to feel like, you know, I have a siren on my head saying, look at her, she's not drinking, and nobody's paying attention to that, but then the social awkwardness kicks in and I feel less than in in my own mind. Or over the summer, if my kids and I are sitting around a lot and don't have a lot of structured activities, I start thinking every other mom out there is, you know, doing great things with their kids and I'm just sitting around, you know, watching television with mine. I'm self-selecting out of something, and that's a trigger for me too. So the the best remedy I've had for that is what we've talked about is not to be so hard on myself. Mhm. Yeah, that is not true. Test is good. I'm wondering about what boredom really is, anyway. Like, you know, as when I was actively drinking, I I felt inside and in my head, and then physically too, like a hamster on a wheel. Like I kept myself busy. I think in our culture too, that like busyness is a form of numbing out. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, that's true. And so I, I almost feel like boredom is, it, it's, it, there's, there's some fear there too. It's, it's something of like, I'm not just sort of running, 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 and now I have to sit with my feelings. Like, what is the boredom really? Great point. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Totally. That's Ooh. that is a really, really good point. That I think that's what we all really 
were doing in the past when we look back at our lives was that we were trying to stay either too busy or too numb to feel everything that we had tried to keep inside of us in a box. And I think you're right. Like that is what makes boredom so uneasy because the lid might come off the box and and we might have to just acknowledge ourselves, be alone with ourselves. I, I think it really does so often find for me. Sorry. When I was when I was first separated from my first husband, um, which was this really crazy alcoholic relationship, which I've talked about before, I found myself in very profound boredom. And somebody actually pointed out to me that soldiers coming back from war report profound boredom as a symptom of their PTSD because they're so used to being on high alert that, 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 that emptiness, that bottomlessness and not having to be on high alert is actually presents as boredom. And I almost think there's a little bit of that on a different scale here. Oh, I totally agree. When we're drinking, we're kind of, our lives are filled with chaos and, you know, so, you know, war is like chaos. And actually you, you reminded me, my dad went on this, he tour of, um, Alaska and all over the United States on his motorcycle last summer for like two or three months. And he came back and he did not know what to do with himself. He was like, I'm so bored. Yeah. And he, before he had left, he was completely satisfied with his life. But he had been on this adventure and all of a sudden, like Reiki, you know, because he does, not Reiki, um, he does Tai Chi and yoga and he has all these friends and he volunteers for um this you know hospice that brings me uh, uh this this organization that brings meals to hospice patients and he's on the board for that and he you know but all of that just bored him to tears when he got back and 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 it and i mean and he's in recovery as well and i was like dad you you realize you know you're you're kind of in a triggery spot right now and he's like you know what you're right and uh um, yeah. because he had just been on this you know different kind of high and i think that's it's, yeah it is it's, it's really we're not good with um you know five which yeah. i guess is so boring what's right? the antidote <laughs> i i, yeah, what, I think what's the solution part of it i think does tie into the expectations and the shoulds you know lisa our our beloved former co-host used to say don't should on yourself Mm-hmm. I mean, a big part of my drinking was, like, if I'm at a party or a social event, I should be having a better time, and I can do that by drinking. Or if I'm home with my kids and I'm bored, I should be more engaged with them so I can, you know, it's this idea that I'm supposed to enhance my experience or myself in, in some kind of way. And so I think part of getting used to the five is just accepting that that's, you know, that's the way life really is. You know, it's not the... It's partly sitting in emotions that I like to avoid or don't want to feel, but a lot of it is just learning how to exist in the state that I'm currently in and not feeling like I should be feeling some other way or being some other way. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's actually the, you're hitting on what it is that we should do in those moments, which is is some self acceptance that to just say, okay, I am bored right now, and I the reason I'm feeling bored is because I'm feeling uncomfortable with, you know, just being alone with myself. So I need to yeah. acknowledge yeah. that I accept myself and I'm worthy and it's okay for me to not be 
charming, witting, uh, making Play-Doh, whatever you think you should be doing in that mm-hmm. moment. Like, you know what? It's okay. It's okay for me to just sit. It's okay for me to even be boring. I was at a dinner last night, and I have my cousins are just so funny and so charming, and and I was just sort of observing all of them. But I was like, man, I just I can't keep up. You know, I just. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know where to jump in. I feel like such a weirdo, and I felt like I was 12. Yeah. And, you know, like I had the wrong trainer bra on kind of thing. Like I just felt such a <laughs> dork. And then I just was like, that's okay. Apparently that's who I am right now, and that's okay. Yeah. And yeah. then you kind of remember, you know, what do they tell you What that is the key to having people like you is actually listening to them. So it's being a really good listener. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it passed. You know, the moment just kind of passed. After a few minutes, someone said, hey, you've been quiet. Tell us about your kids. And blah, blah, blah. It was off to the races. So sometimes those moments pass. And I think when there's a part of our brain that wants to drink, when there's an addiction that has a vested interest in keeping itself alive, it's mm-hmm. it's going to, like, tease forward those moments and overblow them. And, and, you know, it's that part of your brain that wants you to be uncomfortable because it knows that that's its ticket to having you go back to drinking. And that part yeah. of you really yeah. does kind of still every once in a while rear its head and fight to stay alive, depending on where you're at in recovery. I mean, it's very active earlier on, but later on it kind of pops up out of nowhere once in a while. And, you know, you just have to kind of say, hey, where'd you come from? <laughs> <Yeah>. Acknowledge <laughs> right. it, right? So rather than fight through those moments, like just like be in them. I guess it comes back to being in the present and getting in your body, getting in the moment, and allowing yourself to be uncomfortable. I and love that great. being a listener, too, Jean. It's like that's that's a great way of being of service. I mean, that's that's one way that I get through these uncomfortable events as well, is like the listening is a great one and asking people a lot of questions about themselves so that mm-hmm. I don't have to do any of the talking. Mm-hmm. Um or being of service, like helping with the kids or helping with the dishes and the food and the whatever, just like to keep myself moving too. That can kind of keep me grounded in the the why of the event rather than feeling mm-hmm. like I'm a dork, I feel weird, I feel out of place. Which, by the way, does, do other do normies feel this way? I don't know. I feel like every alcoholic I talk to has this feeling, but... Do non-drinkers ever feel this way? I don't know. <laughs> no, it's, Catherine, you just brought up something that um, the, uh, you just reminded me of something that I just had this random thought the other day. And to answer your question, I think that the answer is yes. Like, yeah. I think we think that no one else feels the way that we feel. And then, you know, we have these conversations, you know, and we have them, you know, with recovery people, and recovery people are like me too, you know, and they're like, oh, yeah, me too, I feel, you know, awkward. But then I talk to, like, my normie friends or about something about, like, feeling uncomfortable, and they'll, you know, they'll be like, oh, yeah, me too. Like, I, I just think it's, <laughs> I don't know what it is, what, every, I think everyone has a little bit of self-conscious, and I mean, I guess if we can just remind ourselves, like, I'm just not that important, like, I, if I'm at a party and I'm being quiet, like, it's not my job to entertain everyone there, and even if I'm the host, my job is to, like, provide the food or, you know, and, and, it, but it's not 
to entertain people necessarily. Like if 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 it tends to be kind of a quiet night, it's you know it's you know you know what do I I'm supposed to say? Okay, let's play charades or I don't you know no, it's it's I don't know we I, we put so much on ourselves, so much pressure on yeah. ourselves. I think it's. You know, we're just not fair to ourselves because it, I do think other people feel the same way. I think everybody does, really. But have you ever had one of those times where you're at a party and then it gets a little bit boring and then it's just kind of quiet and you're sitting around and then you realize this is kind of great. Like, mm. this is kind of awesome just sitting around and being quiet and just being in each other's presence. Like, in a way, when we feel like that, first of all, you know, we have to realize that not everyone is uncomfortable with silence and self-reflection and, <laughs> and you know, stillness. And and second of all, that that can just be like a wonderful moment to sit in with people and just it can be a real way to show friendship is just to say like, you know what, you don't have to tap dance for me right now. I'm just really happy to be in your company and and enjoy your, you know, your your living room and just be in your space with you like and and usually it picks up again anyway but i think we just have this fear of uh, for me it's also a fear of judgment so i really think if i'm not being the perfect hostess if anyone's going to you know criticize me i'm trying to preempt criticism i mean i'm i'm healing myself from that but i really see that that was something i felt a lot of pressure to to do Definitely. To, you know Avoid criticism. So that comes back to the bathing suit, you know, how I look and how, how uh, what kind of a host I am and how the food was and how my house was and, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, was the toilet clean if someone used the washroom? I mean, everything just had to be perfect, 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 perfect. And then every moment that everyone had there, I mean, God forbid someone arrived that was in a bad mood and, and um, you know, just wanted to kind of sit quietly, <laughs> like, you just feel like you have to cheer, cheer that person up. and It is really quite lovely. I don't know. Maybe I'm just growing up, but I think recovery <laughs> is teaching me that. that it's okay yeah. to let things unfold as they will. A quiet yeah. can be a beautiful thing. These are all great segues to, to what I, we wanted to talk about in the latter part of the show is to talk about tools and things that we do now when a trigger hits us. I mean, we can, we've can. we talked about events. We've talked about boredom. Um, I, I think there's certain things that we can anticipate that we think may be difficult, and so we gather our tools ahead of time, and then there's also triggers that can hit us out of the blue in any situation. So maybe we can spend a few, t- few moments talking about what we do now in recovery to... Um, you know, to both prepare for for things that we think might be triggery and also how we handle them when they come unexpectedly. Does anyone want to jump well, in and, and yeah, talk a little this, bit about that? This was Catherine. I was just thinking about this today because, you know, first of all, I, I think that for me, practicing my recovery every day is like, it's like working out a muscle. I call it a spiritual muscle. Other people have different phraseology for how they think about their recovery. But for me, daily contact with other people in recovery is essential. I do attend recovery meetings on a daily basis. Um, You know, I have other activities that really engage me with the practice. And it's especially important, A, when I'm not triggered, and B, when I don't feel like doing it, to do it anyway. 
And the reason that's important for me is because when the triggery thing happens, then I'm ready. It's didn't wasn't there somebody on the show who had some quote like a few months ago that said something like in battle we don't rise to the level the intensity of the fight we rise to the level of our training our preparedness yeah wasn't yeah. that yeah anyway and that's what I think I, that was John I feel like that's yeah. what it is oh it was wasn't it yeah. Um, yeah I mean I think that's so that for me that really defines it because. I was just having this conversation with somebody where, you know, nine times out of ten, you can go out with friends, you can go to a barbecue, you can go to a wedding, you can go to a party, and the drinking might not even phase me. But then it's like that ninth, that tenth time that just kind of comes out of the blue and all of a sudden I'm like mad that I'm the only one that doesn't have the glass of, you know, pink champagne and I go off on some, you know, weirdly triggered tangent in my mind. And that's when the recovery action that I've, all the training that I've been doing comes in handy then. Because as Jean mentioned at the beginning, I, do, I want to isolate then. I want to be in my tiny little mind and I want to be angry and I want to be resentful and just in my own little tornado. But because yeah. I practice, I know to pick up the phone, to make phone calls, to go to a meeting, to, you know, whatever it is. But, and say a prayer, that's, you know, you guys know me, I'm a spiritual journeyer, so, you know, for me, that's a big one. It's because I've practiced, and if I haven't practiced, then I'm not going to remember to do those things, or I'm going to just say, to heck with it, I don't feel like doing that, and I'm going to spin in my little mind, and then it's really dangerous territory. Catherine, mm. I think you bring up a, a really, really good point, and I'm thinking about people who might be listening who are facing their first sober summer, and one of the things that I, I'm guilty of, and I know a lot of us are, is uh, is future tripping, you know, thinking about, yes. I, can't, I can't do the summer, I can't sit on my porch on the sunset, I can't go to a barbecue or the beach. Um, I think that we can really get ourselves tangled up in anticipatory angst. And so part of the practice of what you're talking about, I believe, is practicing being in the present moment and not awfulizing yes. too much about the future. And a really helpful that. tool for that is exactly what you've just talked about, which is community of other people who understand how you feel. If you are having a moment of, of anxiety thinking about the 4th of July and here we are in the middle of June and how am I going to get through the 4th of July without drinking, it's very hard to turn to a non-alcoholic person and say, how are you going to get through July 4th without, you know, they're just not going to understand mm-hmm. what it is that you're thinking. But if you're talking to somebody else in the recovery community, they're going to understand exactly where you're coming from. And as mm-hmm. we always end up mentioning on this show, vocalizing our fears and understanding we aren't alone is probably the biggest tool that we have as people in recovery together. Yes, absolutely. I think I think another thing, <clears throat> too, in a, in a, is... Um, is is like acknowledging or appreciating or congratulating ourselves. I don't if when we um, get through something. 
I think that's important. Like, uh, I don't know. It, it's kind of. I, I was jumping in more on the um, what Catherine said, but I, what, uh, I just lost my train of thought. It just, I just think it's important to like, um, you, just to to ignore when we do get through something, to you know be aware that you know it was you know a hard situation and we got through it and uh, to give ourselves you know you know just appreciate ourselves like oh I got through that and I did okay, um, or because I, I remember or that you when you oh that's what it is when you were talking about future tripping remember. I remember calling you up, Ellie, and saying, I just mowed the lawn without drinking. Like, it can be done. Like, <laughs> yeah. I didn't think about it ahead. I wasn't thinking about it ahead of time. But, like, as I was doing it, you know, my first summer sober, and I was, you know, doing some stuff for the first time, it was like, I was like, I acknowledged the fact that, yes, I can do this sober. You know, so I didn't, it, like, to your point, I didn't future trip about it, but then as I as I did something, everyone said, you know, it happened all the time. I would be like, oh, wow, I just did that sober, and it didn't suck. Like, and yeah. I can do that. And, you know, and I actually liked it better. And, Amanda, it's important that you phoned Ellie and shared that with a sober friend, because if you yeah. leaned over the fence and yelled at your neighbor, hey, <laughs> I just mowed the lawn without drinking beer, they'd be like, like, yay, I just yay. asked my dog without drinking beer. Like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> so it is important to share it with someone who understands that that's an accomplishment and that shares in that joy for you because that, that me too or that knowing laugh, that makes a difference. It really does. It reinforces what's good about it. So I love the idea of reaching out. I, I think that could be a useful tool also for the out-of-the-blue triggers we're a member of a of a sober community online together and we see this all the time in people posting sometimes while they're at an event saying mm-hmm. i'm sitting here and everybody's drinking and i'm feeling like a loo-. you know they they just say how they feel and they get immediate responses saying we're here not drinking with you and you can do it and report back and you get your little parade for getting through a hard thing from people who totally understand where you're coming from um I do that all the time when I when some place where I start to get that little existential itch and other people are drinking. Mm-hmm. I'll text my sponsor or I'll call a friend and I'll or you know I love cell phones because I can be having a texting conversation with somebody about how I'm feeling right in front of everybody else and nobody needs to know what I'm talking about. Um, it's just again it takes me away from that I'm different I'm less than feeling because there's somebody else in the world out there doing it too. And it's that actually happens to be this weekend. Hold yourself accountable in that moment when you reach out. You know, that yeah. that also, when as soon as you've told someone, you just know, okay, I'm going to have to follow up with them later and tell them how I did. So that's, that's a great part about that tool, too, is when you reach out, you build in some motivation because, you know, positive peer pressure is a good thing that way. I, I'm just reading Definitely. a book as well called um, Sober Boots by Heather Kopp. I don't know if you guys have read that book. It's a great one. And she, it's when she was drinking, she she would take little bottles of wine, like the little airplane bottles. She always kept three in her purse. And if she was out to dinner with her husband and his business partners or whatever, she would sneak into the bathroom and drink wine in the bathroom. And as I was reading that part last night, I was like, you know, once you're in recovery, you sneak into the bathroom and, you know, read something inspirational on your phone or, um, you know, pull something out of your purse that you can read or maybe have a little mala bracelet where you could do a little bit of a mantra on those beads or something. And, like, 
in the same way that people used to sneak off and hide drinking, you can sneak off and hide a recovery tool. So you can kind of take your bubble with you wherever you go. You could put a few things in your purse that would support your recovery instead of, you know, in the, it, to replace what you used to hide off and drink. So that's Definitely. kind of a good tool, too. Catherine, what were you going to say? I jumped in on you. No, well, I and I have to raise my hand right now and say I'm just thinking to myself, like, I'm still an alcoholic because I just thought, like, oh, I never tried that. That's kind of, that was a good idea to bring <laughs> little bottles of wine. Like, why didn't I think of that? Like, I would just get mad that they weren't bringing the wine fast enough. Um, so I just, know, just raising my hand and qualifying. Catherine. Just qualifying as an alcoholic in case anyone is wondering. No, but I'm I'm thinking all of what you're saying, too, about, like, being accountable and, and keeping in touch with people, it's this form of, of rigorous honesty that I think is so important. So, like, you know what? You don't have to stay the whole time. You can leave early. You don't even have to go. Like, yes, it's your best friend's 40th birthday party. You don't have to go. Newsflash. Like, that is part of that future tripping thing of like it's just not honest to say that we have to go to everything and that we have to do everything and stay the whole time to the bitter end that you know whatever kind of thoughts go through our minds um that are excuses about why we can't you know kind of stay on the recovery path it's asking that question is it true um, is helpful. You know, and yeah. the other thing that I thought, go ahead. Well, I just want to jump in on what you were saying about if about do I really want to go? Because I'll sometimes tell myself, I don't really want to go. And then, okay, is that true? Um, yeah, that's true. I don't want to go. Okay, why don't I want to go? Because I think everybody's going to look at me or because I think I'm going to be, you know, an outcast or because I think it's going to be awkward. Is that true? Or am I imagining that? Am I trying to mind read what hasn't happened? So sometimes I have to push myself a little bit further and think, okay, I'm imagining it's going to be uncomfortable. So let's pretend it is comfortable. Now do I still want to go, yes or no? Okay, well, actually I do want to go and see those people, but I'm not going to anticipate that it's going to be uncomfortable. Or maybe, yeah, I do have reasons to think that's going to be uncomfortable. I think it's a good example. So for the anxious you know, um, catastrophe imaginers out there like me, just take it that extra step and ask yourself that great tool, is that really true or am I projecting imagined circumstances? I I can relate to all of that and I I, I would say that 90% of the time whatever I'm imagining is going to be awkward and uncomfortable does not come to pass or it's in my head, and if I can do what Jean just talked about and alter my perception, then I can get grounded and understand that I'm creating. I mean, it it underscores the point that we made earlier, that this is one of the ways that our disease talks to us, tells us we're different or awkward or, you know, are responsible for everybody's good time. I mean, it it all comes back to self-care in a lot of ways. But I had an experience this past weekend where I was anticipating that it was going to be really fun and really awesome, and it was unexpectedly full of really uncomfortable, awkward moments for me, and they were real. And Mm. so I felt emotionally unprepared. I'm so used to awfulizing that I'm not used to having my expectations go the other way on me. 
Um, and it was a situation where I thought it was going to be all about this particular event, honoring my daughter's team for um, a championship that they won. And there ended up being about an hour and a half of downtime where we were outside in this parking lot outside of a big stadium. And all of the adults apparently had talked in advance and pulled out coolers and everybody started drinking while the kids were kind of playing around with the soccer balls. And I was totally caught off guard. And so I'm sipping my increasingly warm water and watching everybody get into it with beers and rum and Cokes, which happens to be one of my former favorite drinks. And, you know, my soon-to-be ex-husband was there, and that was awkward. I mean, there was just triggers absolutely all over the place, um, emotional triggers mostly, but I definitely found myself looking a little bit too long at the at the glasses of wine that were going around. And so I did a couple of things. I I did I texted somebody who could sort of say, yep, I'm here for you, I understand, check in when you're done for some accountability. I also sort of practiced what awkward feels like. I was sitting in a folding lawn chair just kind of quietly watching everybody get increasingly more buzzed and just experiencing awkward. You know, I, I sort of took a body scan, and I was like, yep, I'm feeling it in my stomach, I'm feeling it in my head, I'm getting a headache. And then eventually it got to be the, to the point where I, I just decided to go for a walk. I got up and I kind of, I pretended that I had to go find a porta potty like, you know, 500 feet away, and I took my time going there and did some breathing exercises and came back. I felt a little better, but there was still an hour left of all of this. And so I started, like, ticking off in my head the ways in which that I was going to be grateful that I wasn't drinking. And it's kind of, it's like an addendum to the thinking through the drink. It's not hard for me to remember how awful drinking turns out for me. But I thought about how they're going to be dehydrated and tired at 10 o'clock at night, and I'm not. I thought about how I get to go into this event and be fully present for my kid and really enjoy it and how before for me it would have been all about sitting in the parking lot and drinking and I wouldn't have even wanted to go into the event because there wouldn't be enough alcohol there for me. I thought about the next morning getting up and feeling perky and ready for the day. I mean, I, I just had to kind of reward myself with little little items of gratitude and that helped me a ton. And then when it was time to go into this event, there were probably half of us there that weren't really drinking anyway. And we couldn't wait to get into the start of the event. And the, and the good part of the adults that were drinking just kind of stayed behind because they knew that the beers were going to cost $9 when they got in there, and, and they stayed and they drank, and they missed a lot of the fun. So it's kind of like a it's a balance of um, enduring and rewarding for me to say, wow, there's a whole chunk of this evening that is so much more awesome because I'm sober. And it helped me, and again, and then after it was all done, I could call somebody and say, "Hey, not only did I do this sober, but I feel really great about the following things," and get my little my add a girl from somebody who understood. Yeah, so, good job. Thinking through the drink and thinking through the rewards that helped me get through that. That's really cool. It's actually that that's one of the things I was gonna say is. Um, it's really, uh, and I, we've talked about this before, but and you know, there's there's events like weddings and stuff, or things that you're going to that you know are going to be like, you know, lots of booze and stuff going on, and we can kind of like gear ourselves up and have like a plan, you know, like I'm going to leave early, I'm going to, you know, have a drink in my hand all night, uh, you know, so that no one asks me if I need a drink and I don't get a mistaken drink, I'm going to order my own drink, make sure, you know, people don't bring me something, do all these different things. Um, 
And we can usually get through those things. And, I mean, I, what I would add with the caution of sometimes we can get through things that are, you know, like, oh, you know, lots of alcohol and stuff with us, and it's actually harder after the fact because then we kind of look back on the evening and say, oh, I missed out on this and this, which is where, you know, my one of my biggest tools is looking at on, just like you did, Ellie, what I didn't miss out on, you know, like I or what I missed out on in the right way, like, yeah, I missed out on a hangover, on being dehydrated, on, you know, feeling miserable. Um, so looking at the good side. But also the same thing that you were saying. I think the hardest thing is when these things hit us out of the blue. Like, it it doesn't, I don't feel like it happens that often to me, but every once in a while, especially this summer, I'll be outside doing something and, and or, you know, a Corona commercial will come on and I'd be like, oh, yeah, I used to really like that and kind of a a tool for me is you know I acknowledge yeah I used to like that but you know what I like this instead now and it's it's I guess you know I I just feel like um, it's okay to acknowledge you know I, I think a lot of people feel shame or they feel awful if they have a thought of a drink like they're doing something wrong and it's kind of normal for for us to think about having a drink it's it's what we do with that thought, like just to say, yep, I acknowledge it, but you, um, I don't have room for that in my life anymore, so I'm just going to move on. Yeah. I think it's, you know, Im- it's, a- it's important to do that. We talk a lot on this show about the importance of ice cream. And <laughs> and I, I this, is a, this is more practical than it sounds. I find if I am craving a drink... Or even just like at dinner last night, there was a bottle of wine on the table in front of me, and I kind of had one of those moments where I was sort of looking at it, and I didn't think I was particularly feeling triggered, but all of a sudden, the you know, it was just me in that bottle. Like it was like, oh, come to me, <laughs> and um, I just reached for a piece of fruit from the tray that was beside it, because there is actually scientific evidence that sugar does hit the pleasure reward circuitry that sort of negates alcohol cravings because it it does give you a sort of competing pleasure hit. But the other thing it does is it it, um, challenges your palate, I guess. So I find if I'm having something that just doesn't go well with alcohol, I mean, peanuts, cheese, crackers, anything salty will make you almost crave alcohol more because it would go nicely with it. But if you're eating ice cream, I can't think of anything more disgusting mm. than ice cream and wine together. Um, they just, you know, that would not feel good in your stomach. So, um, you know, we I love our ice cream around here, but it actually it actually does. So if, if ice cream isn't your thing, then try something else that you know would not go with wine. Usually that means something creamy or, you know, something that just doesn't cry out for acid. So... Uh, I did that with a really large, really yummy iced coffee last night. Oh, yeah. I I got inside and I ordered like a $7 iced coffee, and it it definitely doesn't make me think of drinking. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And it is a treat, right? And I think that's that's really important. I keep candy in my purse all the time, and it kind of comes back to that bubble thing where you're just, you know what? Like it does really help to just... If you've done good and you've gotten through a craving, then give yourself a little reward and just 
just to say, you know, good for me. I'm, yep, that drink does look good. Like you said, Amanda, we shouldn't feel guilty about it. Um, yeah. But we just need to acknowledge that that feeling is real and then do something about it. Yeah. Well, and a little shout-out to HALT, too. So our big triggers are hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So, you know, eating a little bit before you go to the wedding, the barbecue, the party, the whatever. Um, Jean, as you said, eating you know, something when you're feeling the trigger or if you're feeling tired or something, you know, really look for hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and then attend to that uh, feeling. You know, that can really help the trigger, triggery feeling pass. Mm-hmm. And remember, you can be lonely in a crowd of people, especially if you're talking yourself into being other than that, that room full of people. Mhm. We talked about that last week on the show. On isolating. Well, we are we are getting to the end of our hour quickly as usual, and I just I I want to emphasize too to people who are listening and who are new to all of this that um, you know, we really wanted to talk about triggers and what they feel like and when they happen and what we do about them, but it is absolutely uniformly true that it does get simpler and easier as time goes on. Yes. It's not that the triggers don't come or that the desire to numb out doesn't come. Um, but what I find, and I, you guys can can add on to this, is that the intuitive recovery voice kicks in faster and, and you know, almost immediately when those things happen. And I, as Amanda, I'm really glad you brought that up, Amanda, about being forgiving on myself. There was a, a, a moment last night where somebody poured themselves a rum and coke and left it within arm's reach of, of me, and then everybody went off somewhere else, and I was sitting off to the side right next to this rum and coke, and the thought came into my head, you could totally drink that, and, and nobody would know. And I did what Amanda talked about. I said, oh, yep, there it is, right on time. There's that thought. Mm-hmm. And it's, I did not have to act on it, but I didn't try to wish the thought away or numb it out some other way. I just sort of embraced it and then moved on because that's – and. That those the moving on part comes quicker and quicker as sobriety increases. And I actually I learned this in treatment that the average physical craving for a substance lasts 17 seconds. Wow. Yeah. And the rest of it is and the rest of it is mental. And so wow. it's sometimes just a matter of you know breathing in and counting backwards from 20, or you know move your body a little bit, walk somewhere else, go into the bathroom, do whatever you need to do. But if you could just distract yourself even for a minute, it's going to get easier. And uh, you know one thing that I do still to this day that someone suggested early on that has been the, the most helpful tool is that I always bring what I want, and I think I. I, I think I um, talked about that a lot, but I always make sure that I arrive where I'm going with something for me. Because it is surprising yep. how yep. many things you go to where they never thought about there being um, adults not drinking. They might have juice boxes for the kids or some one of those big orange Kool-Aid things. But, you know, bring something that you like that you're excited about. And that, that does, I, I do, I agree with you, things get so much easier and you really do start having fun. You have kind of more fun because you're not preoccupied. Yes. Definitely. Definitely true. 
Well, we end every show by going around and, and asking everybody to, you know, emphasize something that was meaningful for them or to give some parting thoughts or takeaways that we having that we have from tonight's show. So Catherine, why don't we start with you? Well, this was great. I'm I'm really um I'm really just always so grateful to talk to you guys. You know, I I love what Amanda said that it's natural for us we're alcoholics. It's natural to sort of give the side eye to the rum and coke or the bottle of wine. It's it's what we do with it that's important. And staying connected, we say this every single time, but building your recovery community, however you do that, is just so important because we can keep each other moving along. We don't have to do this alone and be sitting there alone with the rum and coke staring us in the face. Um, So I've learned a lot tonight. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you. And um, Jean, how about you? Um. I, this was a very good reinforcement for me to just hear all this. Um, I, I, I like um, the thing that starts out of my mind is to reach out, um, whether it's to get you through a tough moment or to celebrate uh, that you just, you know, had a successful moment. Um, reach out. And, you know, if you don't have somebody yet that that you can reach out to, go on a blog and post a comment on a blog or join a, a support group online there's tons um search online recovery support group you'll find some just reach out and just say i made it through the day i made it through the family barbecue and celebrate that success i think that's that's really huge and um it's a good reminder to do that and i i just want to wish everybody a great summer bubble up put take a little bag <laughs> and up. put a few nice <laughs> things in it um so that you can go in the bathroom and and um, you know, put some lotion on your hands, or suck on a peppermint, or just escape. Give yourself a little mini bubble. Just carry that in your purse, right next to your sunscreen for the summer. Absolutely, Amanda. How about you? Oh wow! Well, it was a great show. Um, just so great to talk to you, ladies. I missed you. And Me too. Thank you. Um, got so many good things um, tonight. I guess you know, my advice for people is is um, I, I mean, uh, one thing is, you know, stay away from some of the things that you're, you know, you're unsure about for now. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be forever, but if you're early in sobriety, uh, you know, just really protect. It's it's delicate and it needs to be protected and taken care of. And you don't have to go to everything that you're invited to. And um, you know, and and try some new things. You know, new way, learn. Try learning. You know, have some adventure. You know, learn some new ways of having fun over the summer, and you'd be surprised. You know, I'll never forget, like, being at a Friendly's at 10 o'clock on a Friday night, and I was like, who am I? And I was, I'd never laughed so hard. And, um, you know, because I was out with a bunch of sober people, just, you know, they were all going. I was fairly new to recovery, and I kind of invited myself along. And um, that's another thing that's cool, too, is, you know, people in recovery, we're all there to help each other, and we will, um, you know, people will, uh, uh, you know, include you. I I think about, I went to a meeting Friday night, and about 20 of us went out to Dairy Queen after, and it was so much fun. You know, it was just, it's, um, it was, but that took getting used to, too, because to me it would be Friday night meant 20 of us were out at a bar. 
Uh, but go easy on yourself. The other thing I heard a lot of tonight is, you know, it, it, it seems so much of this comes back to perfectionism. And just mm-hmm. go easy on yourself, you know, you know, don't about how you look, you know, how you feel when you're in a different place. Like just be gentle with yourself. It's 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 okay to feel uncomfortable. It's okay to not look perfect. Like it's okay to just be you. It it takes so it takes us a while to learn that. It took a while for me to learn that, and I don't always feel that way. But um, it's just it's okay to be you. You're beautiful, you. So that's all. Oh, that's, those are all awesome. I don't I don't have much to add because everything that you guys said is really hit home with me during the show. But I just really want to underscore um, the idea of the the shoulds. You know, I should go to that event because I'm I'm so necessary there or they'll be so disappointed if I don't show up or I should be having more fun or I should be a better mom or I should look better in my bikini. And instead of thinking about what we should be, just think about what we deserve. You know, we deserve to be present and sober and happy and, you know, to take care of ourselves. And, you know, it's... it's um. You know, even thinking that I shouldn't feel uncomfortable or I shouldn't feel awkward, as Amanda said, you just... You just be who you are, and find other people who love you exactly the way that you are in, the, in a in a sober recovery community. There's actually, I stumbled across um, some apps online this week that that are all geared toward sobriety and sober communities, and some of them are really quite good. Um, so just even start there. It's a place you can go post and say, I just, you know, I'm heading to a barbecue and I just want to check in. Um, it's amazing the power of putting a voice to, to your feelings and what it can do for us. It's it's a pretty incredible feeling. So as we close the show tonight, we'd like to direct you to our parent organization, ShiningStrong.org, and there you'll find links to all of our resources, including the Bubble Hour and Crying Out Now and other initiatives around recovery advocacy. Visit the Bubble Hour's website at thebubblehour.com to find a link to many recovery resources, including Jean's blog, Unpickled, and my blog, One Crafty Mother. Our email address is thebubblehour at gmail.com, and we always love to hear from you. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and please let us know your feedback about tonight's show and any other topic suggestions you may have. And we thank all of you for listening to the Bubble Hour, and I hope you have a great evening. And my lovely co-host, it's so awesome to talk to all of you tonight, and uh Hope you guys all have a great evening. Good night. Love you guys. Bye. Good night. Love you. Good night. Love you. Bye. Bye.